This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. We're all part of a global capitalist economy, a system that promised to benefit the rich and the poor alike. Yet, Youth unemployment rate has been on the rise, salaries have stagnated for close to 20 years despite the massive increase in cost of living, cost of education is at an all-time high, and the average millennial and Gen Z cannot even afford adequate housing on a single paycheck despite it being a fundamental human right. So what went wrong and what's the solution here? I'm Darshan Johan and this is Think Left on Beyond the Ballot Box, a series that explores various issues through a leftist or socialist prism with Party Socialist Malaysia. On the final episode of the series, we explore the power the Rakyat has at the ballot box and also, well, beyond it. Joining me on the show today is Sivarajan Arumugam. He's the Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia. Welcome to the show, Siva. How important is the upcoming GE15? I think G15 is uh, very important, um, but of course, uh, as we know, the democratic system itself the we have today, uh, it is not ideal. But uh, with so many issues that which is happening now, uh, I think it's important for people to come out to vote, at least to get those uh, candidates and those uh, YBs into power to make the changes which are very much necessary. So we know that, of course, the system itself, there's a lot of manipulation, gerrymandering and so on. And uh, we also saw how the Sheraton move happened. But at least every five years through this flawed democratic system that we have today, uh, we have an opportunity to make some changes. So here is where I think politicians uh, at least are held accountable and they have to report to the people. So I think the people need to come out to vote at least to make sure that people who are really committed to change are voted into parliament and state assemblies. So they can make a change, even reform uh, the electoral system for a better, so that we are more represented and our voices are more heard. But in order for that to be done itself, you have to participate in the in the system that we have today. And uh, so that is why I think it's very crucial, uh, this GE15 for people to come out to vote, even though there's been a lot of... Uh, 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 people were not too happy about what has happened in Johor and so on. But uh, change can only come if we are willing to make that change and participate in this electoral process. Right. Um, but at the same time, Siva, I also know that many socialists, um, whether it's in Malaysia or even across the globe, they are very wary or cautious about um, you know, elections and parliamentary democracies. In fact, um, PSM's own youth chief, Arvin Kadir Chilvan, I think it was last year or the year before that, he wrote in a Malaysia Kini article that, and I quote, parliamentary democracy, as practiced in a lot of countries, merely showcases progressivity while letting ethnofascists and neoliberals thrive. What are your thoughts on this and how do you wrestle with this idea? Um, because PSM is in essence a democratic uh, democratic socialist party that have actively participated in the electoral process for many years. So like I said, like even though the, the electoral system that we have today, the bourgeois uh, parliamentary system that we have today, uh, it is flawed, but it is still a progressive system where people are given the chance to vote and determine the government of the day. But what we have today is a system which has been manipulated. People have been uh, disempowered. 
And basically what we see today is that uh, it has been hijacked by political parties, unfortunately by ethno, uh, ethnic-based parties, uh, parties that believe in capitalism and neoliberal economic model. And this is actually what we have seen for the, uh, for the last 60 years. But that does not mean that we sort of like dump the whole system and we don't participate in elections. So I think as socialists, I think our commitment is that we have to build this new narrative using the same platform of elections, but we should build a new narrative going away from ethnic-based parties to build a actually a solidarity a movement, to build a multi-ethnic party. Can you really carry forward the interests of whole of mankind you know, beyond to have an internationalist view on this, especially on issues like climate change and all that? This goes beyond borders. So here is where I think in contrast to what we have experienced so far, the whole narrative being uh, guided by ethnic-based parties, how they divide and rule people. So our challenge here is to also participate in this electoral politics, but to put in a new narrative. Can we have a different economic system? I mean, unlike what we have said, that the neoliberal economic system is the only way to go. There is no alternative. But I think we can actually build a different uh, economic model, which is more socially just. And here is why we do really participate in elections. And uh, in fact, to bring back the true essence of democracy, uh, actually what, what was actually meant, what was supposed to be a democratic, uh, democratic system. Right. So now that you brought up that, you know, this, this phrase, true essence of democracy, when people think of democracy, um, a lot of times the people's mind often go to elections or voting for a political party and they think, okay, that's, that's the entire idea of democracy and, and that's it. But can you uh, break it down for me? What exactly does democracy mean? Well, as you know, Dashan, that the democratic uh, system or democracy itself from the Greek word, it basically meant that uh, demo means people, krasi means rule, and thus it should mean that uh, the rule of the people. Right. Now, at, at that particular time, I believe there was no really context of a political party uh, in what actually what they meant. But I think it's what it, what it means is that because everything in our lives uh, is impacted by uh, the government of the day, our daily lives, our future. So here is where that what they actually meant by democracy is that how the majority of people will uh, determine uh, our economic uh, system and how it goes about. But it's supposed to work in a way that while the majority of people uh, are sort of caught up with our daily lives, our economic uh, livelihood. So we elect a few people that we trust. We put them in government to make sure that they run the country and they govern by the rules that we collectively have agreed upon. So it cannot be in a way that you know, they decide by themselves, this group of people, these politicians. It should have been a group of uh, a collectively agreed upon, like the constitution, the laws. Everyone agrees upon this, but we are unable to commit, to carry out, to make sure that the system works. So we elect a group of people as the government of the day, to make sure that all of these things are carried on by the rules that all of us collectively have agreed upon. To implement the laws, to make sure the system works every day, to punish offenders and so on. But from a system which has, should have been where all of us are equals, that means people who are governing us and people who are being governed, all of us should have been equals. It's just we are electing a, a group of representatives 
to make sure that the system runs properly. But what has happened today, this whole democratic system, or I would say the bourgeois democratic system, has deteriorated into a class society, whereby people are differentiated by class. So here is why socialists always say that we are not against democracy. I mean, for socialism, democratic is the core principle. Right. That's why we, we, we always advocate for a democratic system in workplace, workers' control, and so on. But what has happened today is that this whole thing has been adulterated, whereby today's bourgeois democratic system has got a class character. So right. what has happened is that these people that we elect into power, uh, they are basically are given high salaries, they're given a lot of perks and positions, and they end up associating themselves with the T20, the top elite, the super rich. And now instead of implementing policies uh, which are for the majority of people, they end up doing policies for the super rich to accumulate further wealth. So the democratic system, which is supposed to be among equals, no one uh, is, uh, is uh, superior or no one is inferior, no one is uh, economically uh, different, now it's ended up has, is between the rich and the poor. So the politicians, they end up with the, T20, the T20 class, the upper class, and we are suffering from the policies they are making against us now. So we are basically have voted against our own interests. So as Lenin said, the current system is basically deceiving the people and concealing the people from the bourgeoisie character of the present day of the democracy. Right. So the democratic that system that we have today, it has got a bourgeois character. It has got a class character. We have to understand that. So it's not a simple thing to say that, yes, we have a democratic system. No. So here is where I think the socialists are thriving to bring back the true democracy system, whereby all of us are equals. And even though there's a disparity, we need to close the gap between us. I mean, isn't it obvious that at every turn, we can see this hypocrisy which is happening. We talk about a democratic system. We talk about a free country. But there are so many laws that works against us, you know. You know the, the bourgeois, they work together with the, the government, you know. And they can immediately have so many laws to, to crush worker strikes, uh, voices of dissent, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. So how can you really call all of these things a democratic systems while you have so many laws, so many policies that can basically go against your freedom of speech, your freedom of assembly and so on. And so that is why that we say that clearly the system we have today, it has got a class character and we have to understand this. If not, we are just voting in people into the same system without realizing actually from which class of people. I mean, the the current UK Prime Minister is a very clear example, <laughs> right. Rishi Sunak, you know. And there's so many comments which reveal that he's a super rich guy, he's only hanged out with the T20. So how is he going to take care of the normal Brits in, in England? Siva, how can we reform our election and, and parliamentary system to give more power to the people? Yeah, I think the first pass the post system that we have today in Malaysia, it is a problematic uh, system. Right. So basically, uh, whereby we have what we've seen through the gerrymandering that has happened all these years, the manipulation. So what we have seen, it has sort of uh, degenerated, whereby we have a position or situation today that it, the votes that we get and the representation that we get into parliament or state assembly does not actually reflect the true wishes and the voices of the people. Uh, it's completely dispropor uh, dis dis disproportionate 
whereby the total number of votes that a certain party gets does not really reflect on the number of seats that they're able to get in parliament or state assembly. Right. You can win probably 50% of the popular votes, but you maybe only get one third or even less the number of seats. So here is where the big disparity that happens. So, and we also find that this causes where your votes are wasted, isn't it? So whereby if there's a certain constituency, let's say, for example, with 10,000 votes, uh, a person who has just won 5,001 votes becomes a winner and the rest of the 4,000 plus votes just goes to waste. Their voices are unrepresented. Right. So that is why I think we should have a more uh, proportional system. That's what we also would adv uh, advocate for. And here, if we can sort of reform our electoral system to make it more proportional, or maybe a mixed system, maybe some seats are uh, elected through a first-past-the-post, and then you also have a proportional system. Then you can have a party list, you know, besides voting for the parties which are contesting in right. your constituency, probably there can be a party list that people think that, okay, this particular party is not uh, contesting here, but they have talked about certain national policies which interest me which I think will benefit the nation and they can vote for that. So here is where by smaller parties, I mean, obviously, if you look at the scenario, the landscape today, we have huge parties which have been government for a long time. And obviously, they have accumulated huge amounts of money and wealth and connections. So when a general election comes, they will be the big spenders, right? Yep. They will be contesting in so many areas. They will be able to spend so much. And this uh, always puts the smaller parties who have good policies at a, dis uh, at a disadvantage. They won't be able to contest in so many seats, even though they, they wish to. So how do we get representation from these good politicians into the parliament, into state assembly? By having a proportional system, at least looking at the percentage of votes they are able to get, if they can get two, three seats, and you can make a balance out uh, so that the bigger parties, well, the much richer parties don't really dominate the whole uh, political landscape. The other thing I think is very important is that what we need to reform is the whole process of decision-making. Right. Here's where we talk about we have to move away from this old model of uh, representative democracy to more a participatory democracy, whereby people are consulted and they are empowered to make decisions. I mean, for, for example, if you look at in Venezuela, mm -hmm. whereby it is enshrined in their constitution, whereby participatory democracy has to be done. So in no mayor, no Dato Banda, or no councillor, or no bureaucrat has absolute power. It has to come back to the people, you know, in terms of approving budgets uh, for their council, for the community. The people have a say. And right. these things is, is enshrined into the, the Venezuelan uh, government's constitution. So here's whereby I think it's very important that uh, instead of making the electoral process itself different, we should also go beyond that and make sure that... Uh, a lot of uh, issues whereby people have a say uh, to make decisions, have a power uh, more than the bureaucrats themselves. The other thing, of course, is these local council elections whereby mm -hmm. you know we can really have a voice in the local council to deal with the daily issues. What we have today is a, a whole collapse of the local council elections. We don't have it anymore. And thereby we get a whole mix whereby we have our state assemblymen, attending to local council issues. We have the parliamentarians attending to this. So it's a whole mess. So I think we really need to empower, change the system and give a voice back to the people so that they will have a power to decide on what the, the things that really matter. 
Now, this is very different from what we practice today. I mean, the government sometimes, they say that, oh, we are having a, a consultative system. Every time when the budget comes out, we consult CSOs, <laughs> we consult the people. I mean, that is, is, is just a, a window dressing, right? I mean, not necessarily they take our voices. It's just to make sure that uh, it's just a tick on the box to make sure they had a consultation with us. Right. But actually, how do you empower people and give the people a role to say that, okay, this particular project, this particular budget is not approved unless the people say so. So can we come to that level of policymaking? On the show with me today is Sivarajan Arumugam. He's the Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia. After the break, I ask him about the power people possess outside of elections. Keep it here on Think Left on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the final episode of Think Left. I'm Dashrin Johan and on the show with me today is Sivarajan Arumugam. He's the Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia and we're talking about the people's power. So more often than not, Siva, when people think about the power they possess, they immediately just think about elections. Um, people believe that, especially when we look in the current system, um, that the only power they have is voting once every five years and then hoping for the best and, and that's it. But what is the reality? How much power do people actually possess? I think uh, if we are just participating in this whole process of democratic governance uh, every five years, I think it's very uh, irrational because like everything that concerns us, our daily life, our livelihood, our social uh, relationships, education, healthcare, development, economy, it, this is a daily thing. And decisions are being made on behalf of us daily. You know, people are in meetings, the cabinets and so on. So where is our voice in these decisions which are being made uh, every time? So I think it's very important that we should uh, make sure reforms are made in the decision-making process. And that is why that uh, the role of the, the grassroots people, the common people is very important. And this is what very much what PSM is involved in. Uh, we must educate the people, we must tell the people that besides going to uh, vote every five years, you have a role to be a check and balance, to participate in this whole process between that five years time. And people usually don't realize, they say that, okay, yes, we've elected a bad government, nothing much we can do, you know, uh, so let's look at it the next time. And uh, in, in, in not, there's no real change, real change that happens. So what we need to tell people is that you have a right to oppose if something is not right. You have to right to propose new ideas. You have to be, a, you have to guide the government on certain policies. And like I said earlier, that if there's only, if there's a way whereby decisions made by the government at all levels of the government has some clear uh, uh, concepts or have clear routes for people to participate and make decisions. So this is where that people and participatory democracy will really work. We, if we have a system that uh, the bureaucrats are just consulting us, but we don't have an inbuilt mechanism whereby people's decisions are very necessary before the certain projects or certain decisions can be made. Uh, you need to have a public hearing. But of course, today we have public hearings, but no one really here to us. <laughs> so we, how do we make changes in the laws that we have so that these things are enshrined in the law and they cannot overlook all of these things? So these things are very important. 
So we have to really make sure that we are able to mobilize people to demand for these changes, to question power and empowering people to say that, yes, you have a power to say no, you know, you can oppose these things and not only oppose every time. No, they also need to provide alternatives. No, we don't want this development project, but we want this. So how do we uh, sort of uh, guide people and bring people to this thing? Right. And it's also important that once we empower people, usually I think there are a lot of good civil society and citizens who are very concerned about this kind of issues. But they usually react in an individualistic manner. You know, say, I don't like this thing, so I'm going to go out and voice it out. And they be usually victimized. So here is where that even when we do mobilizing, it's very important that we have to mobilize as a community and we have to mobilize in numbers. So the voice is not from one person from that community, but it comes from all of them. And usually when we have the numbers and usually when it's a community which is voicing out that issue, these things will be more heard by the people in power. If there's only one person doing it, then obviously it's going to be shut down, it's going right. to be victimized. So I think that is very important. I want to press further on the importance of um, protests, on strikes, um, when it comes to the democratic process. Because while changing of a government, and, and which happened in 2018, for example, these are all monumental milestones in, in Malaysian uh, political history. But, you know, when we look at, uh, you know, the 60 years of when Barisan National um, was governing, it's not that the people didn't, uh, push the government to do to make changes. Um, ISA was abolished um, during um, Barisan National's time. Even when we look back at pre-independence, people didn't even have the option to vote. There was no elections and all of that. Um, but there was the Hartal, which happened 10 years before, uh, before independence. Um, every, the, everybody went on strike, which really weakened you know, the British economic powers in, in this region. Um, talk to me a little bit more about this, about the importance of protests in a, demo in a democratic system. I think the importance of uh, protests is um, usually when, like I said, when the representative democratic system uh, has failed or has not done its job completely. Mm -hmm. Because like going back to the early discussion that we had, you know, why do we have elections? Why do we elect our representatives, our wakil rakyats, because they should have been the voice of the people raising the concerns in the arena uh, where policies are made. But right. somehow this thing has failed, like I said earlier, because the whole democratic system has got a class character and those people that you elect don't, don't really represent you, don't really carry your voice. So in that situation, people are left with no other choices but take to the streets and uh, to voice out when some things are not happening, they have basically hit a wall by going to the authorities, they made their complaints and everything. So even in our, our line of work uh, in PSM itself, usually people see us um, as usually protesting here, protesting there, but no, there's a lot of other work which has happened prior to taking up uh, the, the line of protesting. You know, we have communicated, we have written letters, we have talked to them. You know, once we have hit a wall, and we know that this thing is not going any more further because the people in power and who is the, the corporations which are backing them, basically they want to bulldoze this whole thing and they're not going to listen to us. So that is when that we have to take on uh, the way of uh, protesting, why, whereby to tell them that no, this thing cannot be done and uh, it has to be stopped. And at the same time to tell the rest of the people who are maybe might not be aware of this particular issue itself, 
to say that, look, this thing is happening and the government is making this kind of policy against us and please support us because it could happen to them uh, some other day. So I think the way of protesting is a basic right. Uh, it's where the voice of the people that we need to hear. But most importantly, what we have seen in protests is that for us is that instead of we empowering the people by having meetings and talking to them uh, and convincing them, if they do come for one protest, it really empowers them. It takes them a few a few steps higher, you know. Right. So participating in actual direct action, it really politicizes people, makes them more conscious of the political system that we are in and gives them that clear analysis, who is with you and who is against you. When they see that if the workers are going on strike and they find that the authorities and the company, you know, it's being, uh, they're, they're called in the police to right. protect the property of the company. So they can actually see who's the government which should be uh, protecting the people is actually protecting those people who are oppressing you. You know, those are this kind of differences. The character of each institutions will be uh, revealed and the people will understand this. Where do the all politicians stand? Where do your, uh, the district office stand? And do they stand with you or do they stand against you? So all of these things will be revealed. So that's why in terms of protests, it's very important that people get involved in direct action so that uh, it's a crash course, I would say, <laughs> instead of talking to them about socialism, participating <laughs> in protests is a crash course. I think that's why the Bursay movement itself was, was so good and uh, thousands and hundreds and thousands of people were able to participate and were uplifted politically in a couple of days. They were uplifted, you know, mm. many, many steps. Another aspect I want to dis discuss with you is unions. Talk to me about um, the importance of unions in when it comes to politics and democracy because PSM is one of the political parties that actually actively works with unions. See, because actually if you look at um, a nation, a country, an economy, a nation economy, basically what keeps the economy going is these two, uh, the two uh, big portions, which is capital and labour. Right, we have labor and capital, but what happens is that what represents labor is, of course, the unions. So I think unions have a huge role to play uh, because they should share the same position as capital itself, should have the same power as capital itself, and that is where, as the voice of labor, the unions are formed, and they should play this role. So actually, some people, when some people say that, uh, you know, unions should be a uh, apolitical, I think it's basically a nonsense. How can unions be apolitical? <laughs> they must be political because politics is the one that determines your policies, uh, determines your wages, whether you get minimum wage or not, your benefits for the workers, welfare, job security, pension, social protections. So unions need to understand that voting the correct people and supporting the right people uh, into power, that is where that you'll have uh, the, the correct policies. If you vote someone which is against labor, and how is he going to be fighting for minimum wage? So you need to understand what kind of persons you're getting. Are they, do they have a correct uh, pro-labor ideology? Uh, when So that when they go into the parliament and state assembly, they will legislate laws that benefit the workers or they will, no, they go against you. So what has happened in Malaysia is that how the unions have been so uh, disempowered. They don't play this particular role. They stay out. They are made to, they are sort of told that you should be apolitical, which is very, very wrong, you know, and they have sort of accepted this thing. So if when they stay out of this whole political process and they say that, no, we are only fighting for labor and labor is not political, 
So what has happened is that the other arm of the whole economic system, which is capital, they sort of influence the government more. Right. The big corporations through big funding for the government, for the political parties, through the continuous lobby work that they do, and then they work hand in hand with the government. So what has happened is that their influence is much, much more than the right. influence of labor itself through the unions. So obviously, you will get a lot of uh, pushback for any kind of pro-labor policies. Now, the government just becomes a slave to carry out the, the, you know, the wishes and whims of the capitals. So here is where I think the unions play a very important role. And unfortunately, they have failed to do so because they are told and they believed that they should be apolitical uh, while they should be working otherwise. And as long as they do keep in this position and this perspective, I think it's going to be very hard. So that's why that we have other other players in the in the, in the whole thing. Like we PSM, as you know, that we are very much involved in labor issues because when we find that the 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 the, the persons who should be fighting for labor themselves have taken a step back, then obviously the people the the workers they come to us and we have to voice out these issues. So I think unions are very important. We ourselves are very much involved in trying to establish unions. So if we don't do this then the government is just going to be hijacked by capital. Absolutely. Now, some people might be listening to this um, and they may, may be curious about what can individuals do besides voting once every five years, um, which is very important. You should, you have the power to vote. You should go out and vote. But beyond that, what can we do? How can we participate in politics beyond going to the ballot box once every five years? Could you share some tips with us? Well, I think it's important that, I mean, besides actually joining a political party, but that's not the whole story. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important for people, for young people to keep abreast of political development which is happening and just to make sure whatever issues which is happening around them in their community, in their neighborhood, uh, in, the, in the cities nearby them. So there's a lot of issues which are happening. And here is where should be a starting point for people to participate uh, in highlighting issues which concern people. It can be local council issues. There could be a, a traffic light which has not been working for a very long time. You know, please voice it out. It could be flooding which is happening in your neighborhood. So these issues which are directly impact you. And I think we should do away with this whole approach of like, no, it's not in my backyard kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we should really understand uh, that how, I mean, especially with climate change, which is happening now, uh, no more that you can say it's not in my backyard. If it's not today, maybe it's tomorrow in your backyard, you know. Mm -hmm. So we should be very conscious of what is happening around us. And the other thing is that if we want to react, if we want to oppose, if we want to voice out, the first thing that we should do is we should organize. Uh, I think that is very important. Like I said earlier, instead of just uh, going it all on yourself as a one-man army to fight this battle, it's very important to talk to your neighbors, to talk to the other people in the community, get them together and try to act. It is not easy because there will be some people who are against it, who have certain interests in the whole problem itself probably. and But it's important at least to get a couple of people together with you and try to voice out these issues. Uh, so it's very important for people to get involved because as we know that uh, the, the, the system of governance that we have today and uh, the democratic system that we have today, a lot of matters which are happening every time, you know, because like I said, how the whole government has been sort of influenced and 
taken over by capital themselves. Right. So they are the ones which are imposing a lot of pressure on the government to do certain policies, to do certain development. And this impacts us daily. So while we don't have a voice, we don't have a, a, a doorway to go into and speak to the government people, the capital, the big businesses, they're doing it daily. They're influencing them daily through lobbies and so on. So here is where that we really need to be very diligent on what is happening around us and we need to oppose it. If we don't do this, it's going to go, it's going to go really bad. And it's not an easy battle, but I think this is what the common people, because what is important is that not for only activists to voice out issues. It's not only important for politicians to voice out issues, but the the government of the day fears when a common man voices these things out. Right. Uh, and he has to, and we have to do it collectively, not only in one person. So when a common man who has does not have any political interest, uh, who's not working with any NGO, voices out this thing, that is a serious matter. And that is what also like we do in PSM, getting the common people to the streets, having them voices heard. And there is where the government realized, yes, okay, there is really an issue that we need to deal with it. Now, circling back to GE15, as I understand, PSM is entering into or hoping to enter into an electoral pact with Pakatan Harapan. But PSM has very strong ideals, very strong principles. And in the past, PSM has criticized Pakatan Harapan for adapting, say, um, neoliberal policies. So why is PSM hoping to enter into an electoral pact with Harapan? See, what PSM we actually did was that um, since uh, last year, since end of last year, um, we had a lot of discussions with many civil society and individuals, uh, friends. Uh, we had a series of uh, uh, consultations, in fact. We had one in Penang, one in Perak, one in KL. Basically to say that what would be our, our, our way forward when the next election comes. So most of what was related to us was that uh, PSM, you guys are good, you have good policies, you have good members and so on. But to win elections, the reality of uh, elections in Malaysia is that if you are only a single party, no matter how good policies that you have, it's very uh, rare and very difficult for you to get elected. Now, people are very used to voting uh, political blocks. So it's either it's this block or it's that block and so on. So... For people to really look at one party, they say that, no, why should I vote for you? Because you're not going to overthrow the other block which I'm uh, which I'm against. Right. So I'm, why should I waste vote on you? And I'd rather vote for the opposition block. Actually, they can bring down the government. So people are very used to voting for blocks. So unfortunately, that's the system we have today. So if we want to get ourselves into parliament and to state assembly, to bring forward our, our politics. The only way is to uh, to do electoral politics. Of course, we have a lot of differences with Pakatan. I mean, until today, even though we have uh, committed to electoral pact, but we continue to criticize Pakatan, what is happening in Selangor, Penang, and so on, you know. So we reserve our rights to criticize. Electoral pact does not take away our rights for that, you know. So that is why that uh, the electoral pact is only to have an understanding to work together to bring down the bigger uh, uh, enemy that we, it's, which, which is uh, giving a lot of uh, issues and problems for the rest of the people. Right. So that is the reason why, why uh, we had these consultations and a lot of people have related to us that electoral pact should be the way to go. So that's when we initiated earlier this year uh, to discuss with Pakatan to see if there's any possibility of electoral pact. 
But at this moment, I think we've also seen in the media and the news, um, there's only a few negotiations have happened, but the actual negotiations to decide on the seats, is it this seat, is it that seat, that has not been confirmed yet. So even though we are only maybe a week away from the nomination day, uh, we have not really heard a, a final word or given us a final approval on which seats which can we can actually contest. So we are actually now still waiting, unfortunately. We are still waiting for the final word because only with that, we can take it back to our members to say that, okay, this is what we are going to get. Do we agree or we don't agree? Right. If we agree, then yes, the electoral pact continues. If we don't agree, then of course, the party will decide uh, otherwise on what, what else to do. So as of today, uh, uh, there is no final word yet. I think if you looked at the news yesterday, what uh, Dr. Naya Saifuddin has said is that all these things will be firmed up by 29th of October, which is coming Saturday. So we certainly hope that will be the final day because it will be just a week away from the nomination day. Uh, once things are final on Saturday, then of course, uh, we will know what to do. So, when it comes to PSM specifically, what ideas um, and, and policies are y'all um, championing heading into GE15? Actually, we have already completed our manifesto um, just last week. And so, we are bringing forth six core issues uh, uh, in this. So, even though we are in electoral pact with Pakatan, if, if that happens, but uh, as a socialist party, we usually would have our own manifesto that we would want to bring forth to the people, uh, like I said earlier, is that um, we are bringing a new narrative, a new politics into the the state assembly and also the parliament, and so people have to see what actually we are offering. You know, it should it cannot be in a way that okay, you guys are you know uh, contesting under the Harapan banner, and as such, you are just one of the same the whole the whole batch. It, right. it cannot be in that way. There must be a difference. Is it why should I vote for you? Uh, what what new politics you're going to bring into the uh, the the parliament and state assembly? So we right. uh, have six core issues. Firstly, is job guarantee. Uh, we find that after the pandemic, a lot of people are unemployed or they are underemployed. So the government must be the ones which provide jobs. We are, have a lot of sectors where the government should invest to provide jobs, green technology, social work, and so on. The second pillar is food security. As you know, that we have been in the forefront of fighting for farmers, uh, farmers' rights, land rights. So food security is very important. The third core issue is social protection. Uh, we find there's a lot of things that need to be done, especially for the, the gig workers to enhance their social protection. The fourth one is housing. Uh, housing is a continuous problem, not only for the B40, but also for the M40, like yourselves, I think, <laughs> to buy houses. Yeah, and absolutely. So that's a very core issue that we really need to tackle the house prices. The fifth issue is climate change, uh, which is happening now with the monsoon seasons uh, will be coming soon. And the last one is institutional reform. And hereby, I think why we put institutional uh, reform here is that what we want to argue for is that whereby while in the last two, three years, people have seen how the politicians and the political parties have failed them. So they have lost hope uh, in how the system works. But in any system, in any uh, government, the politicians and the, the, the political parties can come and go. But what remains is the, 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 base, the basic pillars of justice, uh, like we have the courts, 
we have the anti-corruption agency, we have the human rights commission, we have the electoral commission. So this is what people rely on. They might not trust the politicians, but at least they have somewhere they can take their complaints up to the main pillars of justice, which uphold our constitution. But unfortunately, most of this, we know what is happening here in Malaysia is that they are elected, they are appointed by the, by the executive. So here's where the political influence comes in. So how can we have judges? How can we have uh, the, the chief of the anti-corruption agency uh, be appointed by a more democratic system? Can we have uh, something which is a committee in the parliament? with the inputs from the CSOs and the common people. So how can we take it out, this appointment process away from the executive so that we can have separation of powers between the executive and they don't really influence who actually uh, chairs, who actually hates these important pillars of justice that the people rely on in terms of crisis. So these are institutional reforms that we are thinking about. It, before we wrap this conversation up, and not just this conversation, um, this whole series, um, it's been really fascinating to you know sit down with you and other PSM members and really pick your brain, understand um, you know the ideology that y'all are championing, the policies that y'all are championing. Before we wrap this series up, Siva, would you have a final message on the road to GE15? I think it's very timely that uh, our series has come to an end, the Think Lab series. <laughs> uh, I'll take an opportunity to thank BFM for getting our people to talk on various issues. It's been very enlightening and we have so learned a lot. We have got a lot of reactions from the listeners. Thank you very much. But at the same time, as we come upon the GE15, so like I said earlier, just talking about the some of the points that we discussed earlier, I think what we have today is a democratic system which is flawed and uh, it has been hijacked by politicians. The people has been disempowered. Uh, we are at the mercy of politicians. We have laws and policies that work against the people. So all of this needs to be changed. But when you say change is that now we have an opportunity to do that. But it's important that we get people into parliament and into state assembly who are committed to this change. If you're just going to uh, elect people who say that I don't like this particular block and thus I will appoint the other block, it is not going to work. We have already seen what has happened in the last two, three years. So it's important that people vote for the correct candidates who are committed, who are clear on how this change can be made. And when they go inside the parliament and the state assembly, they should not feel that, okay, I'm the YB now, you tell me all your problems and then I will solve it. No. The role, or at least the role of a socialist YB who sits in parliament or in state assembly should be how he returns that particular power of decision-making back to you. So his role should be to put proper procedures, put up a mechanism such that the decision-making process is empowering you. So okay. how can you say that, okay, now in this particular government, uh, we should have a policy that if this budget is supposed to be approved, we should consult the people and we should make sure that they agree on this. So can he put in a mechanism in uh, in the national level or in the state level such that they empower you again so that when decisions are made, you your voice is taken into uh, concern. Because if that is not done, then we again and again, we're relying on the politicians to make the same uh, decisions and the same mistakes again. So what we need now to get people inside to make a clear reform 
to bring back the power into the hands of the people so that politicians might go and come and go. Political parties might come and go, but if you are able to change the laws, you are able to look at how the constitution itself can help you. And that will be always there. And that will ensure the rights of the people. So I think it's very important that these coming elections, the people should look at this to get people into there who can make changes, structural changes to the whole system itself so that the next round comes, they are the ones who will be making the decisions and not the politicians. On that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Siva. That was Sivarajan Arumugam, Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Think Left on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.